You're listening to the Small Business Talk podcast with Kathy Smith. Small Business Talk is a podcast for business owners and entrepreneurs who want a better way to run their businesses without spending years doing it the hard way. Small Business Talk is hosted by Kathy Smith, who has run the same marketing agency for more than 17 years and helped hundreds of business owners achieve their marketing goals. Welcome to Small Business Talk, episode 132. Today, my guest is Jason Bradshaw from Jason S. Bradshaw. Welcome, Jason. Thanks, Kathy, for having me on. It's great to be on the podcast. And today's topic is customer and employee experience, what you need to know. So that's definitely a hot topic for the current climate. So let's get right into it. Sure, Kathy. Well, I've been focused on customer service or customer experience since I was just 14 years of age. You see, at 14, I started my very first small business selling a range of telecommunication and computer hardware and software. And at the time when I was interviewed by leading media outlets, I said, I can't compete on price, but I could compete on the service that I deliver. And here we are more than two decades later, and I'm still focused on helping individuals improve the experiences they deliver. And I think it's really simple to understand. 30% of consumers in 2021 will stop doing business with you after just one bad experience. We spend so much time trying to get a customer. We don't want to get it wrong on the first time or at any time during the journey. And 30% of customers is a lot to lose. It certainly is. And I've also heard the stats that 68% of customers will leave because they think you just don't care. So you haven't even done anything wrong. It's just you haven't given them that little bit of TLC that they need. That's right. And it's as simple as delivering on your promises. Imagine if you're sitting in first class on Qantas and there's no meal, there's no premium level of service. Those customers, those guests on board that Qantas flight are going to be disappointed and start looking elsewhere because you haven't fulfilled the promise that the marketing campaign or the sales brochure said. A customer sitting on, say, Jetstar, to keep it in the Qantas family, who knew that there was no luggage, knew that they would have a no leg room, but they'd get from point A to point B and it would be $40. Those customers are likely to continue to fly with Jetstar because they've got exactly what was promised to them. And there's that value exchange for the experience that they were prepared to pay for. It is really as simple as that, defining what it is that you're going to deliver and then deliver on it not once, not twice, but consistently. Yes, and that's a good example. And for our overseas listeners, Qantas is our premium airline service and Jetstar's the El Cheapo, you get what you pay for and definitely no leg room. So I'm sure you can insert your own examples into that. And that's the thing. I was speaking to one of my professional colleagues the other day and I posed to him this question. Every year, there's a report that comes out that says customer experience matters. Businesses can't survive without customer experience. Businesses will make more money if they care about customer experience. And the same reports have been coming out for 10, 15, 20 years. So I said to him, are we just not getting better? Like, what's going on? And the thing is, we are getting better. I think if anyone can remember back to what they did 20 years ago with the company, things have definitely moved forward. But so has the way consumers measure their experience with us and what the benchmark is. So there was a time when people would benchmark you against the best supermarket. You go into Woolworths and if the person going to Woolworths thought Coles was best, that's who you would be judged against. 
But now in this global hyper-connected world, we actually judge our experiences based on our best experience yet. So if our best experience to date is, say, the airport lounge, well, maybe not recently, but let's just say the airport lounge, when you go and get your car serviced at a dealership, then you're expecting the waiting experience to be as good, if not better, than that last waiting lounge experience you had, even if it was in a different industry. And that's really one of the areas I find businesses are failing to recognize is that companies and individuals no longer are judged based on their immediate competitors, but rather what best in class when it comes to any transaction is considered. Yes, and I think that's a very relevant point. And of course, it depends on our experiences too. So if you've come from overseas or you're in a different country and that particular experience is so much better than the one you're getting, then you'll judge it on that. In Australia, unfortunately, some of our customer service in the hospitality industry is not nearly as good. So a lot of overseas people come and think, well, what are we doing? Whereas for an Australian going to a five-star restaurant, that is going to be just above and beyond because we're used to having really bad service. So it is very true. It's about the experiences and what you're judging it against. And at the beginning of this podcast, we talked about customer and employee experience. If I ask your listeners today, tell me about your favorite movie. I could guarantee that 99% of the responses would tell me about the actor or actress in the movie, maybe about the plot line, maybe about a particular scene in the movie. But most listeners, most people don't respond going, well, Disney Corporation had some really good production qualities there and Disney were amazing. Disney's the corporation, but it's the employee, the actor, the actress that we remember. It's the employee that creates the experience that I go and tell my friends and family about. It's the employee that either makes or breaks the organization from a repeat and referral business point of view. And just the other day, I was at a local restaurant and the experience was okay, but it was okay because of the quality of the food, not because of the remarkable experience from the individual serving me. They asked me if I wanted to check four times and I was still eating. Thank goodness the food was great. And we so often forget that that employee plays such a pivotal role in the experience that ultimately becomes what I talk about. Yes, I love that example. I was recently, well, a few months ago now, with some marketing people and we were at a restaurant and one of the gentlemen that was with us said to the guy, would you like to be remarkable, the waiter coming over to serve us? And he said, yeah, sure, no worries. And he said, well, can you actually get me a drink? And the waiter said, no, I'm sorry, sir, you have to go to the bar for that. He said, yes, but you're bringing the drinks over. I'd like to order a drink. He says, no, sorry, sir, the policy is that you have to go to the bar. And then he said, well, would you like to be remarkable? And the waiter again repeated, yes. And he said, well, can you just get me a drink? (laughs) So one of the things that customers measure their experience on is success or achievement. Were they able to achieve what they'd set out to achieve? I can't think of a clearer way for that individual to help the customer achieve something. (laughs) And it was completely, completely void of any delivery there. But think about that employee's response. The policy is... I doubt that employee is there writing the policies. He or she is fearful that if they don't follow some policy that some well-intentioned individual created, they're going to lose their job. 
And so we see so often in organizations the ability to empower our team members to get outside of the process and deliver what the customer actually wants, yet we handcuff them to these processes and systems that just aren't employee or customer centric. I think about the ladies and gentlemen who work for the Ritz-Carlton. Now, we only have one Ritz-Carlton in Australia at the moment. It's in Perth. There's a new one opening in Melbourne shortly. But the Ritz-Carlton, for those that aren't familiar with the brand, is one of the world's most premium hotel groups in the world and you can go to any Ritz-Carlton and there'll be some localized service offerings but there'll be a very consistent experience nonetheless and they actually allow every single employee at every Ritz-Carlton across the world the ability to spend up to $2,000 in local currency to solve a customer problem. Now, there's probably people listening to this podcast that are absolutely cringing. I can't give my employees $2,000 just to fix problem. That's insane. I'll go bankrupt. Yet the Ritz-Carlton do this freely and rarely spend any money at all. Most of the time, if they do spend money, it's $10, $15. It's not the $2,000 mark. But what they're saying to their employees, and this is the key, we trust you to do the right thing. But first and foremost, you have to make it right for the customer. And if that takes $2,000, it takes $2,000. Now, obviously, they spend a lot of time with their team members around how can you solve problems without spending cash. And sometimes it's as simple as listening or making a reservation, but they empower their employees to make it right for a consumer. And that's the other part that so many businesses forget is when you don't get it right and a consumer is giving you that opportunity to make it right, your priority has to be just that. You have to make it right. And in that moment of making it right actually can drive much greater levels of loyalty than just getting it right in the first place. I'm not saying get things wrong so you can make them right because you just won't get the opportunity. But if you do make a mistake, empowering your team members, trusting your employees to get it right, make it right for your consumers is the most powerful marketing you can possibly do. I love the example of the Ritz-Carlton. As a podcaster myself, I listen to a lot of podcasts. I can't remember who was interviewing him, but he was interviewing the owner of the Ritz-Carlton or one of the high-up directors, and he was talking about culture and how everybody in the Ritz-Carlton can tell you what their mission statement is, tell you what their vision statement is. And it's quite lengthy. Their vision and missions are quite long because every week, they have a team meeting and they have to go through and apparently they do one each meeting. That must be almost 52, I think, because I think it nearly goes for the whole year. And they just repeat them and repeat them so that everybody knows what that culture is. They know what's expected of them. And like you say, they know how to fix problems. The Ritz-Carlton have this thing called lineup, where every single start of every shift, they have a lineup and they go through a number of key things. Once a week, they look at a service standard and they share what they call wow stories. And this is where employees anywhere in the world have delivered a level of experience that has led guests to write into the hotel and absolutely love on the employee, love on the experience. And they do this as a teachable way. I think the most powerful thing with the Ritz-Carlton experience is something that everyone can duplicate. And that is what they call their credo card. If you ever stay at a Ritz-Carlton, feel free to ask the ladies and gentlemen for one because they all carry it every single day. And by design, they let guests have a copy if they want one. But in there, they do a couple of things. First of all, they define what their promise to their employees are so that every single employee knows what they're promising as their experience. They define what their purpose or their promise to their guests are with some very intentional language. And then they also have their three steps of service. 
And the reason they have this is, A, it's part of their uniform and that pressing against your chest or in your pocket is that constant reminder that, hey, here at the Ritz-Carlton, we have a set of standards and a way of doing work. But also to just make it really simple for the employees to know what's the minimum expectation. You know, the three steps of service are a warm and sincere greeting, anticipate and fulfill needs, and a fond farewell. I know that the Ritz-Carlton training goes into a lot more detail than those three lines that I just said. But imagine someone just going, now, what's my purpose? What are the minimum expectations? Oh, hang on, I've got something in my pocket that keeps reminding me. And every single day, they take a moment to highlight one part of the Ritz-Carlton way. You don't have to use the Ritz-Carlton standards, but if you have an organization that's serving a business or a customer and you have no standards, that's where you run into the trouble of having 30% of your consumers leave you when something goes wrong without knowing that something's gone wrong because no one's measuring or setting the standards that become part of your brand, part of your story, and part of the reason why people do business with you. Yes, and as Confucius says, aim at nothing and you will always hit it. (laughs) Indeed, indeed. So, yeah, it's culture and branding and customer and employee experience all hand in hand. And I think some of the best experiences that people see are with places like the Ritz-Carlton and others that have that really strong culture right through. And particularly with somewhere like a, a hotel chain where there are lots of employees, not just one or two. So getting that right. And if you're a small business and you've only got one or two employees, then that's going to make it a lot easier for you to be able to consistently repeat really good service. And sometimes what you find in hospitality is that they go up and down a lot. So even if your service is not absolutely fabulous, if it's consistent every time, you're halfway there. Like our Jetstar low-cost carrier, airline carrier story at the beginning, people will buy from brands that are consistent. You just need to be consistent in your delivery. You need to be consistent in your messaging around what to expect. If Jetstar came out tomorrow or JetBlue or Southwest Airlines for any US-based listeners or Ryanair for European listeners, if they came out tomorrow and said, we have a new $300, $500, $600 seat and you're going to get fine dining all of a sudden, those seats would be empty because their existing client base wouldn't understand, wouldn't be connected with that expectation, that experience with that product. Now, I'm not saying they won't have ever had a first class or a business class product, but they don't think that brand and first class, it's not congruent. And then equally, those customers that perhaps normally travel on a more premium airline, again, when they hear it, they'd be like, how can they possibly do this? They're the people that won't even take my luggage. You need to be very intentional about what it is that you're offering and promising so that it connects with your audience in a really genuine way and that you're not just wasting money trying to attract everybody. The buzzword at the moment is you've got to niche down. I'm not calling it that. You just need to be intentional and tell people what it is that you do and do it really well consistently. And match that. You see a lot of times where people are putting out premium quality work and then they've got a very low price and they're saying, well, I can't get customers. With your example there, it doesn't match. And the other way they do it is that their marketing and their uniforms and their employees are not portraying their brand 
to the expectation that you're trying to market to or the price that you're trying to market to. So if you've got a premium quality, you need to have premium quality right across the way. So you've got to have it in your marketing, you've got to have it in your uniforms, the way your employees speak, the way they treat their customers and right across. So just think about what area of the market that you're trying to hit and make sure that you're consistent and congruent. The really good news is there's money to be made at every section of the market, whether it be value-based, whether it be mid-market or the premium luxury segment, whether you're servicing a car, selling airline seats or hotel rooms, chicken at a chicken store. Within each industry, you can play in each of those markets and make money, but it's about matching the promise with the delivery and all the back end. There's a reason why low-cost carriers genuinely don't have free, expansive lounges for their most frequent travellers, because that's a cost that they'd have to bury somewhere and then they couldn't be low cost. So be very intentional about what it is that your business is going to deliver and promise to deliver and who the audience is that you're serving and then match your messaging and your delivery so that that congruence goes through and that you can be successful. If you're trying to be a luxurious brand but charging discount department store prices, something's going to stop working. You're either not going to make money or maybe you break even, but then you get to this begrudging space where you're like, I got into business for to make money, uh, to change the world, and I can barely keep the light bill paid. We all get into business for different motivations. There's money to be made at every motivation, but I'm a firm believer that you have to start by getting absolutely crystal clear about what it is that you promise and how you can sustainably, consistently deliver that. Because it's no good being great one day and average the next if you're promising to be the best whatever in your market. Yes, you see that, like I say, in hospitality all the time and you then don't want to recommend that particular restaurant or cafe because you went and had a fabulous experience. Your next-door neighbour goes and they have an awful experience and they go, well, Kathy, why did you recommend this place? <laughs> so I think consistency is definitely the key. And for a lot of people, lowering their prices is just a race to the bottom. So you may not be there for the motivation of money, but you do have to feed your family. You do have to keep the lights on. You do need to pay your expenses. Well, in my new book that's coming out early next year, I talk about moving from transaction to experience because I think there's two ways an organization can play in 2021 and beyond. You can be a commodity business and let's make no mistake, a commodity business isn't about moving widgets. It's about whatever you sell. Hairdresser, a phone company, an airline, a book can all be commodities. It can all be the race to the cheapest price. Or you can be a business that focuses on the experiences that you deliver, the relationships that you form. And that's where you get to create remarkable experiences for your customers and employees, remarkable brands, and enjoy remarkable profits. I think about my local car wash, nothing sexy about a car wash, but the experience that I have with them is phenomenal. And it's why I'm on a subscription plan with them. Now, most of us are familiar with giving Netflix or other streaming services our money every month, but not many of of us give a car wash money every month but it's quite remarkable i give them x amount of dollars each month i can get my car in theory washed as many times as i want now the reality is i probably still only get it washed two or three times a month but i turn up they scan my number plate and they instantly recognize me they don't ask me if i have to pay for anything i just go through on my subscription plan and i can go through a dozen times a day if i wanted to or once a month or whatever but they get the same money from me consistently and from every subscription company and the really great thing about them is when something goes wrong it's not my problem 
I recently changed motor vehicles and changed number plates as part of that process, rocked up and they said, oh, uh, we don't have your number plate in our system. What service would you like today? And I'm like, oh, sorry, I emailed the office. Maybe you haven't found out yet. I've changed cars. And there was no question about it. Yes, sir, no problems. We will take care of that on the back end. You just go through and we'll sort it out. Again, I didn't do anything wrong. They didn't do anything wrong, but they were focused on my experience and wanting to keep me for the long term as opposed to the transaction. And I think that's where so many small businesses fail is that they're just focused on the transaction. And if there's one thing that the pandemic that started 18 months ago has taught us is small and big organizations have the ability to pivot and survive during a a crisis. And they also have, unfortunately, the ability to go backwards. And there's massive organizations that have had significant real downturns in their business, but they've still been focused on the long-term relationships that they deliver. And I know, certainly in the US, those organizations are already rebounding at much faster rates than their competitors because they were focused on the long game as opposed to just the transaction of get that car in, get it out and get the next one. Yes, and a lot of people have had to pivot and some people have done exceptionally well and others not. In my other business, Catco Enterprises, we had exactly that situation. We had subscription-based hospitality clients and obviously with hospitality and opening and closing lockdowns and all of that, it, it was rather difficult to market and they have a certain amount of hours per month but we couldn't say to them look sorry your hours are up or we need some more money when they're not even opening their doors so what we had to do was ride the storm do the best we could for them keep changing their marketing every two hours it seemed and go for it but out of those clients I very much doubt that they'll ever leave us because they were loyal to because we helped them kept them going through that period of time And now they're bouncing back really well. Fortunately, here in southern WA, in Western Australia, we don't have a lot of lockdowns. So the hospitality industry is starting to come back because the other thing that southern Western Australia, well, all of Western Australia has done, has closed its borders to a lot of Australia. So we've now got a lot of internal travel and traffic, whereas historically it would have gone external. So by just like you say, riding the storm and looking at them as a long-term client, we have built some real incredible loyalty. At the end of the day, it's a small price to pay to get that loyalty. So many organizations, big and small, make the mistake of being focused on their new customers. Now, new customers are important. I'm not saying you forget about getting new customers, but so many organizations are focused on just that new flow of customers, but they're not measuring why customers are leaving or even how many are leaving and the value of harnessing those relationships. And I would suggest that stat's a little out of date now, but they say it costs six times as much to get a new customer as it does to retain an existing customer. Imagine for every $6 you spent on advertising, you just took $1 of that and spent that on the experience that you were delivering to your existing customers, the power that that would have on your business, either through increasing the amount of money they spend with you or through the free word of mouth marketing that they do on your behalf. People connect with stories and that's what word of mouth is about. That's why you focus on the experience you deliver because it gives people a story to tell about your brand, to tell about your business. And those stories are the why new customers will come to you without seeing a piece of your marketing because we trust our friends and family. 
the fitness industry is notoriously bad for that, particularly gyms. It's always free membership, free this, free that. But what about those people that are paying your wages every week with their subscriptions and have done for a very long time? So with your car wash example, imagine if the new customers got to push in in front of you (laughs) and you had to wait back. It's not going to be a good customer experience. So I think that is a very good point for all business owners to remember. Look, it's not just the gyms that are notorious for that. Credit card sign-up, telephone, mobile phone companies, everyone always seems to have something for the new client. But the really great companies also remember their loyal customer base. And it's not about just giving them free stuff all the time, but it's about creating that relationship. It's about creating a reason for them to continue to give you their business. And, And that's what we want as business owners. My best clients are the ones that keep coming back and back again. And that's because I know them. It's easier for me to help them be successful when I have that relationship with them, as opposed to a new client where I go and hop up on a stage or speak in a boardroom. And I'm starting from a very different place because I don't have that earned knowledge and experience with them. So am I effective? Yes, but I'm more effective the more times I get to interact with the customer. So it's the same whether you're selling a can of soda or selling a a speech on a stage, the better you know your customer, the better you can serve them and generate that repeat and referral business. And relationship building because you've built that relationship. So, I mean, we go back to the old days where we had the corner store. They all knew everybody and worked on those relationships so well. And we have had the problem where we've got too automated and flicked over to that. But I think particularly with the pandemic in the last two years, people are realising that community and relationships are so important. So building those relationships is incredible. So this has been a wealth of knowledge and a great chat. Jason, is there anything that you would like to tell our listeners to close it up? Just get really intentional about what it is that you're promising your customers and then help your team members understand the best way to deliver that consistently every single time. Fantastic. And before we get to the final five questions where I ask you five questions, can you tell the listeners where they can find you if they'd like to know more? Yeah, the easiest way to connect with me is at jasonsbradshaw.com. Jason S for service Bradshaw across all the social channels, LinkedIn, Twitter, Facebook, etc. And I'd certainly love for your audience to connect with me. And you said you had a book coming out. So does that have a title and when will that be due? Uh, So my first book is already on sale. It's called It's All About CEX, The Essential Guide to Customer and Employee Experience. It's available from anywhere great books are sold. And my second book, a little bit too early to disclose the title of that book, but of course, if you sign up to my newsletter, I'll be keeping you in the loop, but it will be on bookshelves about March 2022. Wonderful. Okay, final five. Are you game for me to ask you five final questions? Sure. What is the best advice given to you by a mentor? The standard you walk past is the standard you accept. Nice. What is the biggest help that you have received since starting your business? It would be podcasts like this. I think the best gift anyone can give a business owner is the ability to spread the word and help you grow your audience. Fantastic. Happy to be of service. What is the one thing that you have to do every day, your non-negotiable? I have to learn something. I have to be curious. So I'm curious by nature. So every single day I spend a good hour at least looking at new examples of great customer and employee experiences. 
Fabulous. And no doubt you're all over Jay Barber's talk triggers as good customer service. Yeah, Jay's a good friend of mine, actually. So yes, I've seen him speak and had his wise counsel many a time. Excellent. What is your favourite business book and why? Oh, there are so many. I'm going to give you two, if that's okay. The first one I'm going to give you is by a gentleman by the name of Scott McCain. The book is called Iconic, and it talks about the five foundations to building truly iconic businesses, businesses that will be around for many years to come. It's a great read, but more importantly, it's really practical. It's not just something you want to leave on the shelf and go, that was a good book to read it. It's really practical and you can do stuff with it the moment you've read it. The second book that I would recommend is Exactly What to Say by Phil M. Jones. Phil is a remarkable individual, has done so many amazing things, biggest selling nonfiction book author on Amazon, business book author on Amazon for one year, I can't remember which. Anyway, Exactly What to Say, it's probably more towards sales consultants or sales associates, but I think anyone should read it. And the reason I say that is because it's really focused on intentional communication and how powerful the words that we choose are in gaining respect and also building relationships with people in your life. So Iconic by Scott McCain and Know Exactly What to Say by Phil M. Jones. Excellent. And I don't think we've had either of those two books. So we will add that to our book list and always like to have new ones. So I think my next one might be Iconic. What do you wish that you had known when you started out? So by the time I was 21, I'd started three businesses in three separate industries. So IT, uh, domestic and commercial cleaning, and a video rental store. The thing that they all taught me was that it's not as easy as it looks like on the cover of the magazine, right? And they taught me that in different ways. Each of them taught me that in different ways. But I think it's very easy for someone working in a cubicle or working for the boss to go, I can do this better. And you very much might be able to, and I wish you every success, but it's not as easy as the cover of the glossy business magazine or the private jet going somewhere. The road to success is a journey. It's not a destination. And being an entrepreneur, being a leader of a large corporation, it by design is not something everyone can do. And just be very mindful of why you're going into it. Yes, and I think that sometimes is one of the biggest traps in business is that they're a very good technician, they're very good at their trade, and then they make the leap and realise that there's a whole different skill set required to be a business owner than to be a top performer in your given area. So I love that. If I could just add a bonus there, you don't have to know everything. I like, for example, going back to our discussion around you know the marketing needs to be congruent with your message. My PowerPoint presentations look amazing, but if you actually saw the development process of them, you would cringe because I put the bare bones of the presentation together. I want this on the page and I want these words, but then I have a professional designer actually make it look great because I'm not a designer. And that's not why people are doing business with me, but it is part of the image that I project. So as an entrepreneur, you don't need to know how to do everything. And even if you do, you shouldn't do everything. You should be absolutely focused on doing what you do great and then using others around you to amplify your skills. Yes, and that is a wonderful piece of advice because often I say to people, would you want to spend all those hours and money in hiring somebody who was just learning that skill and making the mistakes and all of that on your time or would you rather hire a professional? And nine times out of ten will say hire a professional. So then you've got to flip it back to them and say, then why are you doing it? It's not your skill set. 
Indeed. So I think that's a wonderful way to end this podcast. So really appreciate your time, Jason, and we will put all your links in the show notes that people can contact you and get on your list to get your new book. Thanks very much, Cathy. Been great being with you today. Thanks, Jason. Don't forget to subscribe to Small Business Talk podcast and head on over to smallbusinesstalk.com.au forward slash downloads for all the show notes and links to this episode. Remember, to be great, you must start. Pick one tip from today's episode, take action and implement it. Let's meet again next week at the same time and place. Until then, take action. And SBT community, enjoy your journey.